0: This is Viterbi Voices, your chance to hear stories about research, classes, student life, and more.
1: Directly from our students, faculty, and other members of our engineering community. All right here at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering.
0: Welcome back into Viterbi Voices. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Paula Desma, Director of Undergraduate Admission at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering.
1: And my name is Audrey Roberts. I am a senior studying mechanical engineering here at USC.
0: Yeah, well, so welcome back to this episode. And joining us on this episode, we have another guest with us. Guest, introduce yourself.
1: Hi, everyone.
2: My name is Mahima. I'm a junior majoring in industrial systems engineering. And I am currently at home in the great state of Pennsylvania
0: in pennsylvania so a, a, as you can tell everybody we're we're recording this on zoom because we're, we're everybody's still kind of working from i'm working from home but these students are taking their courses from their relative homes uh and, but the podcast persists we've still got lots of great information uh to bring out to you on a week-by-week basis and in this particular episode mahima goes out and does some some really cool reporting on this uh, mahima you bring this episode to us what's this episode all about
1: Yeah,
2: um, talking about doing school and work from home, this is really relative because we're interviewing or I interviewed students who did research from home. And um, I didn't necessarily think this was possible because my interpretation of research has always been something in a lab, more like lab coats and goggles and things bursting into flames. But uh, these students were actually able to do COVID related research projects from home with their research Labs and um, get to talk to two of them, and they've done really relevant projects ones that I think everyone has at least a basic understanding of. And they kind of walked away understanding COVID and its problems better, which I think was really cool. And that's why I wanted to highlight it, especially.
1: Yeah, I think this is a super cool episode, um, not just for the reasons Mahima said of like, how do you do research at home, but also I think it's a great example of how, you know, students as young as freshmen really at USC who can do research can. Get involved and put what they're learning in class into action. In this case, something that's very relevant. So one of the projects was on um, tracking uh, COVID-19 misinformation on Twitter. So when when Mahima first talked about this episode, I was thinking, you know, something really biomed related, because when we think about COVID-19 research, we're thinking about vaccines, we're thinking about understanding how aerosols spread, this sort of thing. But of course, misinformation is probably one of the reasons why it's continued to spread. So I loved hearing about that. And then the second one was about kind of leveraging Python to, to understand the virus a little bit more. So, um, I, yeah, I think it's uh, just super engaging to listen to. And all of us probably can, can use a little more knowledge uh, on COVID-19 right now, too.
0: I love it. This is so topical, not only with what we're all going through as a society, uh, but also shedding some light. Into how the university is adapting and, and changing the educational experience for remote environment on an educational front, a research front, and ultimately uh, still contributing to society as a university. So, thank you so much for this. Let's get out of the way and let everybody listen uh, to this episode.
2: Okay. Hi, everybody. So we're back here um, for our first interview with Neel A. He's going to go ahead and introduce himself. But first, I wanted to say welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here.
3: Hey, Mima. Um, Thank you for inviting me. And um, it's really great to be here and talking about my experience. Um, So a little bit about me. I'm a senior here at USC. I'm a student in the computer science department. Um, I have a minor in business finance, and I'm a PDP student as well. Um, I'm originally from the Bay Area, and I really like my time here in LA.
2: Very cool. Yeah. Are you still in LA right now, even though the pandemic's going on and everything?
3: Yeah. Um, I already had an apartment here, so I thought I might as well, you know, just um, come over here, have my own room, get a little bit away from the family, um, less distractions, you know? Yeah. So, yeah.
2: Makes sense. Okay. Well, let's get into it. First, Firstly, um, obviously, we're going to be talking about your research, but I want to know, as opposed to an internship or a passion project, why did you decide to do research this summer?
3: Yeah, definitely. That's a really good question. And um, it's definitely an under-asked question. So I actually did an internship last summer. And what I felt is that um, by kind of going into industry and kind of taking a look at what that kind of job would look like, I thought it was a really good experience. But I also wanted to get kind of the flip side of that, that you know, what other options are available to me? And one of the most prevalent ones is the idea that, oh, um, after uh, graduating with your bachelor's or master's, you can then go into either a PhD program or go into research and kind of figure stuff out on that end. And rather than working on the industry side, where you're using existing tools, you're working on more of the cutting edge form of making those tools. So specifically for me, I wanted to give myself that option to um, look at something new and see if it was something that I would be interested in. So because of that, I thought that this summer would be a really great summer because I did feel like my uh, window of opportunity to do research was closing. Um, after I would graduate, it would be a little more difficult to try and secure such opportunities and secure such um, time in order to even pursue such opportunities. So that's why I decided that, you know, this summer I was going to be going for research rather than something either more industry-based or something that a lot of other students, you know, usually pursue.
2: Yeah, I think it's really great, especially um, with the time we're living in. I feel like research is so important. What I think is really cool and really underestimated is how many college students are actually getting involved in it, because I think if you're just a prospective high school student listening right now, you might be thinking research is only really for professors or for people who are researchers whose job it is to do this, and yet you are a college student and you are involved in research that will hopefully influence and help us understand the way the world works, which I think is really awesome. So um, I think the last question before we get into kind of the nitty-gritty about your research is um, how did you get involved with this specific program and how easy was it, how hard was it, and um, tell me a little bit more about your professor and the professor you worked with as well.
3: Yeah, definitely. So um, I, this summer, I was working in the Melody Lab, which is um, a machine learning lab, um, under Professor Yan Lu. Um, the way I got involved in the research was the uh, Viterbi Summer Research Program. So um, what Viterbi does, the School of Engineering, is it um, sponsors um, students to uh, do research with other Viterbi professors over the summer. So um, they have a matching where you indicate your interests, what labs you would potentially be interested in. And they send you that, hey, these labs uh, um, actually have availabilities and these professors are willing to take you on. Um, from that point, um, they gave me the contact information of Professor Liu. And um, I just emailed her and was able to set up um, uh, time just to kind of talk over email and um, meet with uh, my PhD student who is mentoring my project. and. Um, yeah, I mean, from there, just project got started, and it's just been busy ever since.
2: Yeah, I can, I can only imagine, uh, especially because I feel like your project is really relevant. And um, going more into your project, so your project is called um, the analysis of COVID nineteen misinformation on Twitter. And there are there were roughly like sixty some kids who were involved in projects. And uh, when I was looking through the names, thinking about who to interview, I saw your project title, and I just couldn't help but feel that it was extremely relevant to the situation. And I feel like a lot of people at least have a basic understanding of how Twitter works and the misinformation era we're living in. So I think it's, I just wanted to hear more about it. So selfishly, I asked you to interview because um, I just thought your project was really amazing and really interesting. And, um, you know, why don't you just go ahead and talk about the foundation of it and essentially what you were you guys were hoping to do with the research and then we can go on.
3: So um, like you're saying, um, everybody who is even remotely aware of current events right now is aware of COVID-19, and especially um, the idea that misinformation is being spread upon the social media platforms. Um, Many people have said things like misinformation relating to COVID-19 is a risk to public health. And our goal was basically how to examine how misinformation was disseminated. Um, and if we could kind of leverage, um, some social media platform, in this case, we chose to use Twitter because of its friendly developer environment. Um, and if we could leverage the, um, text of tweets in addition to engagements, which would be such things like retweets and replies in order to, um, predict whether some of these tweets are either unreliable or if they were in fact, you know, reliable tweets, trustworthy tweets. So, um... What's the goal of this project, right? So, obviously, there's our short term goal, which is that uh, ideally we want to be able to help in the fight, um, the current fight against misinformation for COVID 19. Um, Obviously, this has particularly deep ramifications for that, but I think a larger, more um, uh, looking forward kind of goal is that we could potentially reveal generic trends or predictive features. Um, that can be used against the fight of misinformation in general. Um, So that's um, what our main overarching goal for the project is. Um, I think that my research more on the technical side was very interesting. We had initial hypothesis about our kind of data set that we were looking into, we were able to collect a approximate of six million tweets relating to COVID-19 over a three month period. And when I was, um, yeah, it, it's a lot of data, right? But uh, as I was looking through um, the data set and just kind of exploring, I found uh, something that kind of confirmed our initial um, hypotheses, which was that we had kind of an unbalanced data set. So this idea of an unbalanced data set is where you have more tweets of one type than another type. So in this case, Um, our imbalance was such that we had around seven reliable or trustworthy tweets um, for every one unreliable unreliable or untrustworthy untrustworthy tweet. So what I did is I used these kinds of data um, and I trained different machine learning models to try and determine if the data set actually had um, predictive features to distinguish unreliable information from reliable information. While I was training these models, I used a lot of different classifiers. And what I was able to find is that neural networks, one of the more popular ones, were one of the better trained models. So um, specifically on that, neural networks are effectively what we can call a black box, right? We don't really know exactly how they work, but we know that we can give it some information in and we get some information out, which is interpretable to us. It's really great to see all these results because they're usually very good. But the problem is that they're not really useful for, I guess, me. I'm a human who's trying to understand why my model is answering a a question the way it did for a tweet, like, why did it classify this as misinformation? Why did it classify this as information? But sometimes that's not very apparent because, you know, it does some complex stuff inside of it. So fortunately, a lot of different researchers have addressed this kind of topic in research, and they've developed techniques for... Um, what we can call neural network interpretability. Basically, how do I take a look at this really complex machine learning thing, which is kind of thrown out as a hot word usually, and actually look at it from a human readable perspective and see why did my neural network do this? So by leveraging these kind of um, tools, I was able to kind of figure out what words my model was kind of focusing on when trying to distinguish unreliable versus reliable information. And um, something interesting that we found was that the replies to source tweets contained informative words and were pretty useful and, and had useful um, predictive features, as opposed to just the regular words in a source text.
0: Hey, y'all, sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know that we have a number of opportunities to do it. And it's happening all summer long, but get your registration in now at viterbi.link slash visit. Hope to see you soon.
2: Gotcha. That is, I, um, for the listeners, we're on a zoom call and I have like the biggest smile on my face because I just think it's really cool to hear you talk about this stuff. Um, especially cause it's, it's just very cool to see you leverage your education and use it in a way that's going to help us understand this problem better which i think is just the most incredible thing before you were working on this research project were you familiar with twitter at all like have you used it are you an active user
3: uh not particularly myself for social media engagements um i personally um try to stay clear of social media as much as possible just try to use it to keep up with friends but um other than that i just think that um it's a very distracting uh um form of media (laughs)
2: Yeah, I agree. I feel like especially since school started, I have done my best to stay away from. Media. <laughs> my other question regarding your research was kind of from a more academic perspective, what are you taking away from this experience? Like, how is it going to change the way you look at other problems or even just misinformation as a whole? Because now you're clearly much more um, educated and experienced in the subject.
3: Yeah. So um One of the things that I definitely kind of learned through this project were a few things. So obviously, whenever you do take a look into something deeper in such a broad general topic, such as misinformation, you're able to kind of realize what the current state of affairs is, how are people currently looking at it, and what can be done to make it better. But also you understand what kind of um, a few famous people have quoted is that, you know, the more you know about a subject, the more you know that you don't know. So... It definitely um, gives me a profound sense of humility, because there is so much more work left to be done on the subject, and it's something that we can realistically kind of see an end goal for. So that's the specific ramification for the specific research. What I can take away from this into my own life is that there's a lot of different ways and a lot of different ideas you can use to break down really, really difficult problems, really challenging situations. And if you just kind of take a look at it, um, see what other people have maybe have tried and maybe just try even a few crazy ideas of your own, you might, you know, end up with something really, really cool.
2: Yeah. See, I, I would just, I feel like this entire interview should just be you talking and just me sitting here and listening because um, I just, I really appreciate what you have to say.
3: Uh, you're doing great.
2: Oh, thanks. Um, so in terms of your research, obviously, you know, if you're a high school st- student listening to this right now. Some of it's going to sound really technical, but um, I want to let you know that research is available to all undergraduate students. You just have to go out there and get it. And um, I want to be honest that sometimes research can be really hard, too, because, I mean, you're kind of exploring the unknown. So within your research project, what did you find to be the biggest challenge or even the biggest roadblock? That's interesting.
3: Hmm. So I guess... um See, it's really easy to answer the greatest challenge one, because there are a lot of challenges, right, that you have to overcome. But I guess my greatest challenge would be that there were so many new concepts and so many new uh, technical terms and different materials that I needed to learn in such a short time. I just had one summer to kind of take a look at this stuff. But in general, the research project was, you know, very demanding and equally challenging. And which allowed, you know, through exposure to this project and working on this project, I was able to learn so much out of it. So I would say that would probably be my greatest challenge, the breadth of materials which I had to cover in the time. And as for my greatest finding, um, I guess that would be that um, our data set does in fact contain predictive features to use in misinformation analysis. Although sometimes it's possible that we collect, you know, a large series of data and we do some large analysis on it and we realize that, hey, this data set doesn't actually work because it doesn't have enough of the things that we need or it doesn't actually um, uh, lend ourselves to one side or the other. So um, I guess to take it further, we were able to find that the presence of certain words in, you know, engagements like replies do tend to signal if a tweet's more kind of reliable or unreliable, which is a really big thing. By analyzing what words um, the neural network or the model, right, was able to classify tweets on, we get essentially this more generic picture, this generic understanding of what features would be important in misinformation analysis. And when I say features, um, I just say what things that we can use to take a look at and identify whether something is misinformation or, or information. And um, it's really important because, like I said before, it's not just related to COVID right? It can be used in the broader sense of misinformation analysis. As for, I guess, a little future of the research, I really hope to continue um, the research in order to help discover more of these generalizable features or trends or words, however you choose to call them, that can be used across the um, topic to help and identify misinformation.
2: Yeah, that's that's really awesome. And I think that was kind of getting into my next question. Um, I know you talked about how Um, When you graduate, you might want to look into industry, but how has this research project kind of changed your view of your future career path? Is this something that sounds like something you want to be more involved in after you graduate? Or just what do you see as your future career and how has this research project affected that?
3: Yeah, definitely. Like I said before, the reason I got into research was for the idea that it would open up a little bit more opportunities and possibilities for what I can do with at least my immediate future. And for that, I think it's absolutely achieved at school for um, the idea was very kind of standard track to a lot of people in my major is that, you know, and not even just a lot of people in my major. A lot of people just across majors where it's that, you know, you go to school, you get your bachelor's and then depending on your major, you either go straight to master school or you go um, straight into a job to work for either a little bit or the rest of your life. And those aren't really the most exciting prospects. You don't really want to have your life uh, mapped out for you um, the moment you hit 20 years old, right? Um, So um, for me, um, I think it does open the opportunity for me to not just kind of go into industry, but to look for applying into a research-based master's program or even the PhD route. I definitely think that both going into industry and going in the research route have the merits of their own. So I've been consulting personally with a few different professors as to um, what the way to go about it. And the really, really important thing is that it's not a decision that I need to make now. Um, I know I'm a senior and I'm gonna be graduating and you know school's all gonna be done for me and everything immediately. So I have to make some decision as to whether I need to go into the industry or if I need to go into research. But since I've got this experience now, it's not going to close opportunities if I do choose to go directly into industry after. I can always come back a few years later, get into contact with uh, Professor Liu again, and see if I can apply for a PhD program if that's what I really want to do. So it's not that it just gives me an opportunity to make a split-second decision right after I graduate. It gives me the opportunity to take some time and evaluate both options carefully, And see, hey, do I actually really want to do this after I get some more experience? Or hey, do I really want to do this? And kind of come back to it a few years later.
2: Yeah, I I really love that. I think that's one of my favorite things about research is that how it just opens up your options and just creates a whole new world that you can explore, especially because um, I feel like in research, research I just feel like is just very different than having a regular job, especially because. Um, as I've said before, you're just exploring something that hasn't been explored yet or that multiple people around the world are looking into, especially with something as big as Twitter and all of the interaction that goes on there. It's just a whole world to be explored. And I just, I just think the work that you've done is amazing. And it, it's been very cool to just sit here and listen to you talk about it. In the beginning of our interview, you'd mentioned before that you'd done other research. Was that on campus or was that like right around the time when we started going remote?
3: Yeah, so the other research that I was able to do was actually um, concurrently with this other one. So it was when things went remote. However, I can't talk a little bit about the remote research experience because this is something very interesting because, you know, most of the time in previous history in the world, this has never really happened. In general, remotely, the overall experience was surprisingly positive, right? A lot of people have this kind of negative view that everything's going to be worse when we kind of go online, but I didn't really find the case find that to be the case. Um, I think that's partly because that my research, uh, specifically, the lab was equipped for being able to go online, and we had all the necessary tools to communicate and access lab servers and machines and all of these things. There were some limitations, which we wouldn't have had in person, such as getting a chance to personally interact with other members of the lab and get to know their work and the working environment, but... Overall, it was really positive. We missed out on a few whiteboard discussions, which could be more engaging and more informative. But in general, we were still able to communicate difficult concepts, um, even though it did take a little bit more time. And thank you to my mentor for having the patience uh, with me to explain those. Hey,
0: everyone. This is Paul. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know about a new feature we just unlocked. It's about sending us questions or comments via text. If you go to your podcast player, check the show notes. There's a link there that says, send us a question or comment. It may be on our next episode. So go in there, send us a little quick text message. Let us know what your questions are. Let us know what your comments are. We'd love to hear from you. So we can't wait to see it. Now, back to the episode.
2: Yeah, because I feel like, at least personally before when I used to hear research and everything, I used to think about lab coats and like beakers and liquid and stuff. And then it's just like, how do you do that remotely? And (laughs) um, luckily enough, like your background and this research project lends itself really well to the remote environment. So I'm just really glad that it was able to work out, Um, especially because um, with this summer research project, there were about like 60 students involved in remote research. So it's definitely doable. It wasn't it was not necessarily something that was uh, a detractor or anything. You guys were still able to get really good work done, which I think is amazing. I think one of my last questions for you is being a senior now and, and getting to do all of these different kinds of things, what what advice, or just in general, if somebody's interested in research, what advice would you have to give them or what would you tell them about it? especially? maybe freshmen who are really worried that they don't have any experience in their major yet, what would you say to people who want to pursue research?
3: Yeah, definitely. I, that's, a, that's a really good question. And that's something that I've actually been thinking about it too, because if I had a chance to, everyone has this kind of question that if you had a chance to do over college again, what would you do differently? And so my, in general, my advice is quite generic as to what other people say. Don't be scared. I, um, like I was saying, I also did another research through um, a different professor while I was also doing this COVID-19 misinformation analysis research, which I was able to secure by just emailing a professor I had class with. And he said, I'll take a look and see if I have availabilities in my lab. And he contacted me about less than a week later saying that, hey, we have this project. Would you be interested? And I just started from there. So these are two different kind of ways in which you can go about it, which I went about it, one through an official program and one just through a personal connection. And some of them will work for you. Some of them won't. There's no need to be scared. Professors are really busy people. So if, you know, they don't reach back to you after you email them maybe once, then don't worry about it, right? There's so many more professors to do research with. There's so many more interesting things in the realm of possibilities. And it's always important to not be scared be open to emailing professors and also to keep an open mind don't get stuck on the fact that i want to do this very one specific idea or this research especially because we're not we're not that far down in our careers. we should keep an open mind explore and there's always the possibility that you might find something you love even more than what you currently think so those are the two pieces of advice that i'd give don't be scared and be open-minded
2: yeah um you know, I feel like that's just a really great way to end this interview. I think, firstly, I want to thank you for all of your time because um, I personally feel like I could listen to you talk about your project for hours and I've thoroughly enjoyed this. And, um, you know, I want to tell all the listeners, I think um, the biggest thing is just not being afraid. I think there are so many opportunities that you can get at college and I just feel like you get in your own way. And I think that you know, I'm even in the pursuit of research. I've emailed professors and professors are busy people. Sometimes they don't even realize that you emailed them. Um, I have a professor who thinks he sent me an email and he didn't. (laughs) Um, So you just have to, you just have to, you really just have to be your own advocate and you have to make an effort to talk to your professors about these things um, because it's not like they're going to seek you out, right? So I think, um, I also want to remind people that you know, if you do happen to reach reach out to a professor and get research, you can do some kind of amazing work like this work. And, you know, I feel like, especially talking about your findings and everything, you guys were able to better understand this problem that for so long has just been mystified. Like nobody, like, it's just this big world of misinformation. And yet you, through the course of one summer, were able to understand this problem better. And I just, I find that to be phenomenal especially just as a college student the fact that you get to walk away from college having understood that like I there's just not a lot of people in the world who can say that and I think it's really cool and I think it was really cool that the school especially encourages students to find research and to get involved like that I mean that's it for me but do you have anything else to add or anything else to tell
3: our listeners no I think you hit it directly on the nail absolutely great interview
2: yeah of course thank you for making the time and um to all the listeners i will be sure to add in the description of the podcast um all the different projects and specifically details about new Light's project if you're interested okay thanks guys
3: yeah, thanks for having me
2: hi everyone okay we are back for our second interview i have Radhika on the podcast today Radhika, thanks so much for being here it's really good to talk to you today. And um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners?
4: Thank you so much for having me, Mahima. I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast. Yes, so my name is Radhika Bakori. I'm a junior studying electrical and computer engineering. And I'm currently doing classes from my hometown of Ventura, California. Outside of my major, I'm on the e-board for Aslibath Acapella, which is USC's premier South Asian competitive acapella group. And I'm a project manager for MAKERS, which is Viterbi's hardware and electrical engineering design club, and also an ambassador for IEEE, which is the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers at USC.
2: See, you're so involved in everything. I feel like I I need to be doing more. Let's talk about your research. The whole conversation here is about the research you did this summer. Now, typically, or at least people tend to think that college students gravitate more towards internships or co-ops or even passion projects during the summer, but you chose to do research. So, could you tell me a little bit more about the decision and why you chose to pursue research this summer?
4: Sure. So, originally, I had uh, planned to do an internship over the summer. However, due to COVID-19, it was canceled. um, And, what I did was I contacted one of my electrical engineering professors that I just had class with that spring semester. And I really enjoyed his class. And I knew that in the fall or in the future, I really wanted to work with him again. So I asked him, you know, is there any opportunity for me to do research with you? Or do you have any suggestions on what I can do over the summer to still be productive and and do something meaningful? And that's when he gave me this project to work on. And really, that's how how I got involved to do research over the summer. And Viterbi had um, a merit research fellowship program that they just launched, especially for students who lost internships due to COVID-19. So that was an amazing opportunity that um, I'm grateful to have been a part of this summer.
2: That is really awesome to hear. You know, I feel like this entire podcast is just me essentially preaching the potential that research has for students. And I think, um, I think it's also really important to remember that research is always an option and I think what's really great about research, as the listeners will probably have heard me say in the first interview, is just your potential to gain understanding about real world problems, which is not not to say that's not something you get through classes. I think you do. But I think research is just a really great way to see what kind of work you could be doing.
4: I completely agree.
2: Okay, so your project is implementing a computational model of airborne respiratory droplet based virus transmission and a little a shorter way of saying that is just basically the pyrem which is the python respiratory exchange model now i'm going to be completely honest and say i don't understand all of the words i said you want to go ahead and kind of explain what you did this semester or this summer and kind of walk us through it
4: sure i'd love to so pyrem it stands for the python respiratory exchange model And basically, if we take a step back, every time, especially for asymptomatic individuals, every time a person coughs, breathes or sneeze, um, they release respiratory droplets into the environment. And for individuals that are infected with COVID-19, those respiratory droplets contain COVID-19 viral RNA. And when a person, another person breathes in that contaminated air that contains those droplets, they're now susceptible to getting the virus. So the goal of our project is to simulate the physics behind those droplets and to quantify how much virus is contained in the air at a particular time. And we've done this in Python through a series of of functions and um, we simulated our results on how temperature, humidity and proximity affect that viral quantification of virus in the air.
2: Just hearing you say that, I I have this massive smile on my face again, and I I really love doing these interviews with research students because, like, to hear you say this, like, and explain it in a really clear way is just so interesting because, personally, as a student, like, you know, I never thought I would be able to have such a clear understanding of the current world problems in the way that you do, and also, I think, the work that you're doing is going to have a serious impact on the way we understand this virus and the way that we study this virus. And I just think it's I think it's really cool and important for students, particularly high school students listening, that you have the potential to make a difference and to help us understand these things all while still getting your college degree.
4: Yeah, definitely. I think the beauty of engineering and engineering research is you're not limited to just work on ideas that are in your major, you can pretty much tackle any problem as long as you have those analytical skills and that determination and motivation to wanna help the world and and learn more.
2: Yeah, you know, that's a really great segue into my next question, so thank you. Um, As you mentioned before, you're an electrical and computer engineering student. And when you describe this project, you know, particularly with viruses, I would think this is more in the field of maybe like a biomedical engineering student or even a computer science student with the work that you do in Python. So can you talk a little bit more about how your major and your academic background helped you with this research project?
4: Yes. So Pyram is, it is a very programming heavy research project, but I think the beauty of electrical engineering is that it's very diverse and um, it includes programming, physics, as well as electrical engineering and That's why I love it is because I I get to understand the physics that that goes on in certain systems, but also be able to simulate them in in programming. And that really helped me with my research project because it was kind of divided. It was at the intersection of of math, physics and programming. So I had to numerically derive equations um, and then understand them from a physics point of view and then be able to write code to simulate those expressions and model them in, in Python. So I think the, the different classes I've taken as an electrical engineer have have helped me develop those distinct skills in in math, physics, and programming.
1: Well, I think our
2: first interview um, that I did with Anilay, he talked about how one of the roles in the research, I'm doing the actual research, was learning enough to be able to conduct this kind of research. So. I mean, not to say that you didn't know what you were doing, but what did you come in knowing into this research project? And what do you feel like you had to do a little more learning about?
4: Yeah, that's actually a really important question. So going in, I had I had taken a class at spring semester that involved Python, but I wasn't very proficient in it. And so that was something that I was sort of familiar with, but needed to learn more. And throughout the research project, um, I used Stack Overflow a lot and just watched many tutorial videos on Python and how to do different things. Um, And then by the end of it, I think I have a pretty good grasp on on Python. Um, Now skills that I I knew kind of going in were definitely my math and and physics skills. Those were very important um, in order to do some of the derivations. Um, But I think one thing that I really had to learn was how to read a research paper. And uh, that was key because our project is based on um, another original work by Dr. Gavin Buxton. And we're kind of extending that model and and making modifications to it. So um, it was important to to learn how to read a, a research paper and understand what is being said, what could be done differently and just critically think.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I think, um, I don't know. Originally, like my impression of research just used to be a bunch of people in lab coats and like pouring things into beakers and just making stuff happen. But I think um, especially now with all of the online research we're doing, I think it's also important to realize how much learning is involved in research and how, you know, you're exploring something new. So obviously you're going to be doing learning on your part, but that doesn't make you underqualified in any way.
4: No, exactly. And I think that's also the beauty of research and why it's it's really unique is that you don't have to know everything going into the project. You can learn what you need to know very specifically uh, to your project and then use that to, to complete your project. But you don't need to know everything. In fact, you're never going to know everything. And that's why you have to read other papers and confer with research advisors and PhD mentors to get a better sense so that you can
2: actually do your tasks. I think a lot of people get really hesitant about approaching research and because they think that they don't know enough. But talking more specifically about your project, you want to talk us through a little more about the research itself, any details you can provide kind of your overall findings and just maybe what excited you most about the project? So
4: we have posted the source code and a technical write-up to our project on GitHub and our findings have shown that higher temperatures Increase the chances of a person getting infected through indirect contact and breathing in these respiratory droplets. However, more humid conditions. Um, The humidity and moisture present in the air prevent the droplets from evaporating and therefore they tend to fall to the ground and infect surfaces. And another very important variable that we simulated was the effects of proximity, which is the same thing as looking at social distancing. So we actually have a result that shows four different proximities. We have two meters, one meter, 0.25 meters, and it showed that, say, if you're six feet away, your chances of breathing in and, and the concentration of virus present in the air is significantly lower compared to a person that is standing much closer to an infected
1: source.
2: I I'm just I, I honestly really love hearing about this kind of stuff because not only is it really relevant, but I feel like what's really cool about research is that you walked away understanding this issue better, and this issue is still very present. We're still dealing with the virus and we're still social distancing. And I just think it's I think it's really cool that you're gonna be like you know, social distancing, and you'll actually understand the way the virus works enough to understand why we need to implement social distancing. So I think that's just really cool.
4: Yeah, I think over the summer, I was even more motivated to, to follow the guidelines because of this research project, because I had a scientific perspective of, of what's happening and how the virus is transmitted. So that just reassured me and um, reiterated that we need to social distance, we need to wear masks, and these guidelines are really important to follow.
2: I think um, I I mentioned this a lot in the first interview, but I just think it's really just so fascinating. The fact that you get to walk away from this summer research project kind of becoming an expert in this stuff, like really understanding what people are talking about in this world and understanding how this virus works. And I just think I just think all of it is very incredible. And I think the fact that you got to do this as a college student is just the best.
4: It really was. It was an incredible opportunity. And especially working with my research advisor, he provided so much mentoring and inspiration and just guide guidance throughout the entire project, would make, which made it so enjoyable.
2: Yeah, I think that's, I think you raise a really good point about um, how how three-dimensional your opportunities regarding research are, if that's the right way to put it. I think a lot of people just think about research as like, you know, having your name on a paper or being able to put the fact that you worked in this research lab. Um, down on your resume. But I think there's so much more you get out of research. You get to understand the problem, but you also find mentorship with people in your field who are, who are doing stuff that you want to be doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Have you done research on campus before?
4: Yes. So I started doing research at USC in January of 2020. And um, before the pandemic, we did have weekly lab meetings and uh, I conducted research on campus with, with other students.
2: What have you noticed as the biggest differences between in-person and online research, and have you found the online environment to be hindering to your research
1: in any way?
4: I think that depends. Um, again, there's different degrees and, and varieties of research. Some of them are very lab-based, and some of them are solely programming-based. The lab that I was working in on campus is, is different from the summer research project that I did Um, However, that project was through the mechanical engineering department. And it it was hard when we went online because the progress of our project pretty much stopped. We weren't able to do the circuit design or 3D print anything until we shipped around parts. And one of the students had a lab at home, which made it easier to do uh, the circuit design. But Definitely for that project, it was hard once we had moved online. Over the summer, I did continue to to work on that project on the side and continue with it, and we were able to make progress. It was just a little bit slower because we were not all together, and it was a more hands-on project, so definitely being online affected that. With my research project, I don't think being online Severely impacted that because it was all programming based and I was still able to meet with my PhD mentor and research advisor on Zoom or over the phone regularly, uh, which was great. But I do know that some research projects and research labs really were struggling in the pandemic just because they couldn't be in person and, and doing those experiments in real life.
2: At least for Neelay's project, it was very easy to kind of translate into an online setting. And I think it's important to remember that there are some research projects that were really easy to translate in this setting, and there's others that are just very much lab-based. But it's really, it's great to know that you were still able to do this kind of research and it it didn't really hinder your research in any way. Um, I think my next question is specifically regarding your research project, you know, I want to talk about what the biggest challenge was for you, whether it be learning something new or just the programming itself, but overall within your research, what was the most challenging part for you?
4: Honestly, I think taking a a overall look at my experience, um, I think getting inside your head, getting inside my head was the biggest challenge for me because research is, is so open-ended and there's a beauty in that. And there's also a, a challenge in that because you never really know if this is the right direction that you're going in. And you kind of just have to have faith in yourself and faith in the process that it's it's going to end up working out. And that can be frustrating sometimes because you don't really have A reference point to like constantly check and once you get the results you're like well is this even right like how do i know and especially when it comes to programming if there is some kind of bug or an algorithm i'm working on and then i can't figure it out it it becomes very frustrating and there were so many instances in the summer where i just i kind of started losing the bigger picture and my research advisor gave me some really good advice about just taking you know one or two days off not thinking about the project to clear your head and then coming back to it and seeing it with fresh eyes. And that really helped. But I think, especially in research, it's very easy to uh, be frustrated with yourself and, and get inside your head.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like, I, I mean, I haven't done research per se, but I feel like as a college student, I get into my head a lot. Uh, I think that's just a. Just a thing that we all have to deal with because I think, um, I don't know, I think with research especially because you're exploring something new, you wish you had a better understanding of it, but it's important to remember that that's what you're doing, the research.
4: I think the challenges that you face with yourself, especially the challenges that I faced over the summer, really helped me grow as as a researcher, and they were definitely great learning experiences that I I wouldn't trade for anything.
2: Yeah, that's really nice to hear. Um, My next question is... Specifically, the impact on the research, not necessarily on our understanding of the virus, but the impact on your career. You know, a lot of students, I mean, there's a lot of different avenues for engineering students to take, but what were your original career plans in terms of, you know, getting a master's or going into industry or anything else? And how has doing this research project either changed your mind or helped you or informed your career path?
4: Yeah, so originally, before I had even done the Summer Research Fellowship, I thought I would do Viterbi's progressive degree program in electrical engineering. And since the start of of my freshman year, I kind of struggled with this idea of like working in industry immediately. I was never super excited about, you know, getting an internship and like just going and working for a tech company. And I think once I, I did research, I realized that just because you're an engineer, you don't have to go and work in industry right away. There's other avenues to explore engineering. And especially working with my research mentor, I realized how much I enjoy research and that open-ended thinking and just the creativity and freedom that comes with it. And that's just something I want to pursue as a career, whether that's, you know, going to grad school and getting a PhD or just working for a company that's very research oriented. I think currently I am interested in applying to PhD programs after, I, after my senior year, uh, or during my senior year, next year, and really just furthering my career and furthering my interest in research and being involved with that.
2: That's, that's really cool to hear. I'm really glad that the research was able to help you, not point you in the right direction, but help you figure out what you wanted to do, because that is definitely something I am still trying to figure out.
4: Yes, I, I think it's crazy how my paths kind of just changed by one experience, but it was so it was so telling and it was so important that I realized that this is just something I love to do. And there's so much of deep thinking and valuable thinking involved. And that's, that's always been something important to me as I was homeschooled from, since I was young till eighth grade and homeschooling was very, it was an environment that encouraged and, and promoted a lot of creative thinking. And I think doing research kind of brought me back to those days. And I just love that feeling and, and doing that.
2: Yeah, that's just, I'm really, I'm really glad that you got a positive experience out of it, especially because, you know, you had one plan and then your internship internship got canceled and you were still able to have a summer that helped you. My last thing I wanted to talk about, this is not necessarily specifically related to your research, but just how you got involved in research. So you reached out to a professor you had, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to, I just want to mention to people listening, particularly high school students that this is I think a relatively common way for USC students, particularly Viterbi students to get research. Um, I wanna emphasize that even if you're a freshman at our college, you can definitely get research. Um, I I know a lot of people who have specifically asked professors they've had in the past. Um, What I've been doing of late is just emailing professors, reading about their work. And I just wanna emphasize that There isn't one clear-cut way to get research. It's really up to you to put your best foot forward and actually ask for the research and have an active role in finding research that you want to do. Um, And on that note, uh, Radhika, this has been a great interview. I've really enjoyed it. I just, I'm very, really, I'm just so thankful for you doing this interview because... Um, Now, even I can say I have a better understanding of the virus after this conversation. Um, I think you explained it very clearly, and I think, quite frankly, um, you've just made a really great case for research as a college student. Um, I'll be sure to um, link in our podcast description, at least maybe the GitHub link for your project. But is there anything else you have to say to our listeners? Thank you again for having me.
4: It was such a pleasure talking to you. And I'm just happy to help and encourage any students who are interested in pursuing research. I know it can be intimidating to start and it seems like only, you know, the, the most brilliant students can do research, but I assure you that's that's not the case. I think if you just have that desire and that determination, you can do anything and don't, don't be intimidated by your professors. They, they're so welcoming and they want to. To, to get you involved, and they, they want to do research with you, so I just urge all students to reach out, and don't be discouraged if, if you don't hear back. You can always follow up, um, and I think research is an amazing experience, and with the right mentor and, and the right professor, it can be life-changing and very eye-opening.
2: Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks again, Radhika.
1: Thanks, Mahima. Well, that was an awesome episode. Thanks so much, for Mahima, for yeah. doing
2: the interviews. Yeah, of course. Um, I feel like I mentioned this in the interview earlier, but I feel like just listening to it, I already feel like 10 times smarter, and I feel like I could kind of talk <laughs> about the subject a lot. But um, I just, I really want to commend the students for taking the time to talk to me about this and also for being able to explain it in a way that I could understand and that hopefully more listeners can understand. Um, but they were fantastic, and I had such a great time interviewing them.
0: What was your, like, biggest takeaway what was the one thing when you said you're 10 times smarter i i i agree what what what's the one thing that you're like you can't you can't stop but telling everybody about it
2: i think the biggest thing was social distancing um radhika who's the second interview in this podcast talks about how she was able to track the spread of the virus and i think Initially, when I heard about social distancing, it just kind of made sense. You don't want to be around as many people when this stuff kind of happens. But she was able to talk about how it actually spreads and why social distancing is so necessary and how there's actual reasoning and scientific backing behind it. And I think that only, I mean, I have been social distancing, but that just adds like a whole nother like shield for me. Like that's like, there's a whole nother reason why I want to do it because it's been proven over and over again and it's actually effective. So I will continue to preach that to everybody I know.
0: Have y'all, have y'all heard a lot of this going on now where people are saying it, you shouldn't be calling it social distancing, but calling it physical distancing?
2: Oh, I haven't.
0: It's like a whole... I'm seeing little snippets of it online. Of course, I'm no authority. I'm not reading most of these articles. I'm just skimming them as most people do. And of course, now I'm bringing it to a conversation, which I shouldn't do. Uh, but the, this whole idea of like physical distancing or um, what our... <laughs> have you guys noticed our dean? Have you noticed yeah, Dr. Yortsos say... He doesn't say social distancing, he says spatial distancing.
2: No, I haven't. Oh, yeah. He's... I think that makes a little more sense, right? Because social distancing makes it seem like we're all so like, lonely, even yeah. though I feel like at least I'm not.
0: Yeah. But Yeah, I, I get the concept of it. I, I'm just I'm curious where the term sh- social distancing came from. And then why all of a sudden there's a movement to stop referring to it as social distancing and get to a more literal definition of physical distancing i get it it all kind of makes sense but it's also like well then why was it originally called social distancing right i think that's your next episode mahima let's let's put you on the into the field and go find it out
2: Can i go talk to dr fauci i would love to yes. do that
0: yes get, get him get get uh, get fauci on the phone we got to do that <laughs> well uh thank you mahima as an update for everyone else that's out there and listening um you know we as far as the university goes you know everything keeps kind of moving forward um the admission process for fall 2020 excuse me fall 2021 is well underway um if you haven't done so already if you haven't attended any of our virtual sessions we run virtual admission information sessions for first year applicants or first year prospective students meaning high school students uh tuesdays and thursdays at four o'clock we also run them uh, one saturday a month if you if you have don't have time on the weekdays to go check that out we have a saturday program uh, and for prospective transfer students, we run them every other Friday afternoon. Uh, in addition to that, um, you know, our, our sort of students and, and you, some of you guys are actually involved in this, the, the live chat series. You want to talk a little bit about the live chat series and what's been going on with that and what are some upcoming episodes or excuse me, upcoming sessions?
2: Yeah, um, I'm actually really excited about the next one that's going to be happening uh, because I've been organizing it. We're doing one on women in engineering, which I'm a topic that I'm very passionate about and really interested in. Um, We're going to be talking about all the resources available and also just experiences we've had and kind of concerns coming in as a female in this field. And uh, we've got a great bunch of panelists lined up. Domini is our host and she's really excited. And um, I'm really excited just to kind of um, have an opportunity to talk to people about this great community we have at Viterbi.
0: That's cool. And so the date of the women in engineering uh, live chat. is going to
2: be up, the 13th of yeah. September.
0: Sunday, September 13th. If you haven't registered for that, please do so at Viterbi.live slash events, Viterbi.live slash events. You'll get opportunities to see recorded live chats that have already happened, upcoming live chats. Uh, also our admission information sessions and to be determined schedule of faculty roundtable sessions that will happen in the next couple of weeks. So you can sign up to be notified when we finalize the dates for each of those. Um, we're offering more opportunities to connect with us in a virtual environment than we ever have before. So if there's any silver lining to this process is that you can be talking to people and learning more about the school in more ways, uh, albeit virtually. Uh, and, we're, and we're excited about that process. The application's open. Uh, and you're able to get in there. If you haven't done so already and you're you're thinking about applying for fall 2021, make sure you go to commonapp.org. Select USC as a school you're planning on applying to, and then you can start listing engineering or computer science, one of the Viterbi school majors, as your first choice major on the application. If you do so, we can make sure and send you more information and uh, updates as we go. Beyond that, thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great uh, rest of your week.
1: Thanks, everyone.